What else do we do here? Baptisms at Morgan Creek, followed by BLTs at Merritt's, always a winner. Uh, every summer, Tuesday nights in the summer at Weaver Street Market in Carborough. Love Live and Good Friday worship services at the Forest Theater on campus. All of these things are intentional moves on our part to embody incarnation in our community, to plant ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into the life of our community so that we can understand the community enough to be able to translate the gospel in a way that speaks to who they are. This is something that we do intentionally. We're always thinking of these things and always trying to think of what the next edge is of where we can be planted for the sake of flourishing in this community, of the community flourishing, and of the gospel flourishing in this place. The next step for us and one of the next moves for us is what's happening on December the 8th, Christmas at the Cradle. This is going to be a great time. So at Cat's Cradle, which is an iconic place here in Carborough, um, a, a, just a part of the, the music scene of this community and a, a much broader music scene. The, the different musicians and bands and acts that have come through there is, is pretty remarkable. It has a great history to it. And so on December 8th, we're going to go into Cat's Cradle and take that next step. And we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus right there in Cat's Cradle. So I want you guys to come and to be a part of that with us. It's going to feature um, some of our own musicians and artists that are part of this community. Um, Look Homeward is going to be there, a a little folk trio, all right? It's going to be great. Our friend Priscilla is going to bring her ukulele and break it down, all right? And then, of course, Jason and his band Delta Sun, they're going to be rapping out the night. Um, Not rapping in the night, all right? You should try that, though. It would be awesome. Call me up for that. Apparently, I'm pretty good at it, okay? Um, and they're going to be closing out the night uh, in, in worship. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to be singing Jesus songs about the Savior and about the birth of Jesus. So it's going to be a fun and festive night. Another local band that's not a part of this church at all is going to be a part of it, um, singing some holiday classics and some fun like Christmas songs, you know. But, but we're also going to intentionally be lifting up Jesus songs in Cat's Cradle, and we're going to fill that place with the sound of joy that is the, 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 at the heart of the season we're about to celebrate. So come out and be with us for that. Tickets are $10, um, and we're splitting that with Cat's Cradle. They get $5, and we get 5 And our $5 we're giving away to Table, which is a local organization that helps fight hunger among school children in our community. 25% of the school kids in Chapel Hill and Carborough City Schools are what is considered food insecure, which means they do not know where their next meal is coming from. That's crazy. We live in the wealthiest county in the entire state of North Carolina. And at the same time, we have the highest poverty rate in the state of North Carolina, 22%. And so 25% of the children in our school system, in our neighborhood, in our town, don't know where their next meal is coming from. So we want to help with that. So the money that we make from this, we're giving away to table to help bridge that gap for students that rely on the school lunches that they get throughout the week. And we know that Christmas break is coming up. 
And so we're going to help bridge that Christmas break gap for these kids and um, make sure that they are taken care of during that time. So come be a part of it. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be worship. It's going to be fun. We're going to be singing, having a lot of fun. But it's also a very integral part of who we are and our mission and what we do and why we're here. Okay? So come and, and celebrate Christmas with us. Christmas at the cradle. It's going to be great. I'm slightly excited. Can you tell? All right. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything. And in this time of thanksgiving and when our hearts are focused on thanksgiving, we just lift you up. We're so thankful. We're so grateful for all the ways that you have provided for us, for all the ways that you care for us, for all the times in our lives. And we can think about those right now. They can scroll through our minds right now, the times when we were at the end and you came through for us. And some of us might feel like we're at the end right now. I pray that you would come through again. We're so grateful for you. And our hearts are are filled with thanksgiving for who you are. Help us this morning. Speak to us. Challenge us. Direct every word that is said and every word that is heard and understood today. Translate for us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have been together in this series that we're calling You Are Here, where we talk about direction for the life you're in. And, and all of these things that we've talked about, these subjects that we've wrestled with together, um, are going to be things that will be important for the rest of our lives, no matter what stage we're in right now. No matter where you are in your life, these are important parts and aspects of real life. So that's why we've been trying to tackle these together through the lens of Christ-centered, gospel-driven, uh, scripture-rooted kind of concepts and ideas. What does the word that is eternal, that continues to speak to us, that continues to direct our lives, what does it have to say about these major pieces of our lives? So together we've talked about community. We've talked about work. We've talked about relationships and we talked about church. I almost forgot that last one there, okay? And then this morning we are talking together about the idea of money. Money. Like work, money is one of those prominent parts of our lives. Every single day we're interacting with it. It has such a, a sway over our lives. So it is crucial for us to take a step back and to begin to view money through a lens that is rooted in Scripture, that is driven by the gospel, that is centered on Christ, and helping us to understand how does God see money, and how should we see it, and therefore interact with it in our lives. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Money. Money. So, one thing we need to say right up front, okay? The truth is that the church has a money problem. The church worldwide has a money problem. Because too often people who are not part of the church or people who have been on the inside of the church walk away feeling like the only thing that churches care about is money. Right? We've seen it way too often. 
We've seen it way too often. And the church has a money problem. Way too often we've seen people manipulate. Manipulate minds, manipulate hearts in order to open up pockets and purses. And that's not right. That's not right. That is a sin when the church begins to do that. When the church begins to view people as giving units. That is a sin. That is a sin. When the church begins to identify and view people as giving units, then they have failed at being the giving unit they're supposed to be in the world. And they have failed at being the change agent that we are designed to be. The church is not a business. The church is not a business. And too often we've been driven by that. And a lot of people have been hurt by it. And the cause of the gospel at times has been hurt temporarily because the gospel always overcomes because it's always stronger than the mistakes that we make. But in the eyes of some people, this is how they view the church. Now, what you need to understand is that this is not the heart of God. And when that has happened, then we have failed at representing the heart of God, which is who we're supposed to be in the world as his church. So when we've done that, we have failed. Absolutely, we have failed. Because as we look through Scripture, there are two things in Scripture that God consistently gets angry about. So many times we kind of view God as this angry God, like he's mad at the things that we do and he's just ready to take us out, right? But when we look through Scripture, we do see that God gets angry. But the things that we see him getting angry about as we really dig into it, it it focuses on two things. Number one, corrupt worship practices. When we are giving our hearts away to someone other than him, that angers God. Absolutely. Not out of an egotism and kind of self-centeredness, not at all. But out of an understanding of how we were created and what we were created for and how far off we are when we go down that track. The other thing that burns in God's heart, the other thing that we see God's anger burn against is oppression of people. God cannot take that. God sees that and his heart breaks over that and it makes him angry. And there's an incident in the life of Jesus where we see these two things come together, where we see idolatry of lifting something up in front of God, and we see people being oppressed, and they come together. And at the root of it is a twisted love of money. And we see that God is so upset by that, right? It's called the temple incident. It's in every one of the Gospels. It's in every one of the Gospels which tells us this is important. They want us to know that this is the heart of God. And we see that Jesus comes into the temple and he sees these things that are happening that just drive him crazy. He sees it. What is happening is this. Merchants in the temple understand the system of worship of the temple at that time. That part of the system of worship was to make a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. 
And most people, if you were a person of means, you had your own livestock that you would bring. And so you would select the very best out of your livestock, the first, the very best and top out of your livestock. And you would bring that to the temple to be sacrificed. Now, understanding there were some people in the community who could not afford their own livestock. They didn't have their own land. They didn't have their own animals. So to help them out, they set up a system where animals would be provided there at the temple for them to purchase to be able to sacrifice as part of the worship system. Now, the merchants who were in charge of this saw an economic opportunity. They understood that the law of supply and demand had smiled on them in a favorable way. And they took advantage of the opportunity. And they began to jack up the prices. Because what they're selling here is connection to God. These people have to have that. And they're going to pay whatever it requires to get it. So they started pushing up the prices in order to purchase, in order for people to purchase for worship. He comes in and he sees this. Jesus sees this and his heart begins to burn against it. Number one, because the merchants have put their love of money ahead of their love for God. They're in a beautiful place of being able to be a part of facilitating worship for people, but instead they've twisted that and they've made it about their own gain that makes Jesus angry. The second part is this. The people who are really losing out here are the poor who can't afford it in the first place. And worship becomes a burden of oppression in their lives. They continue to do it because of their heart for God. But it becomes a burden of oppression in their lives. And Jesus' response to this is he goes up to the tables of the merchants and he flips them. He just starts flipping tables and he starts driving the animals out of the temple and he starts driving the animal sellers and the people who are exchanging the money. He starts to drive all of them out of the temple and it creates a scene of chaos. And at first we look and we're like, wow, Jesus is out of control in this moment. We see Jesus as violent and angry, but Jesus has lost his mind because of his love for the father and his love for the people. And that drives him to do this. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not out of control. This is his heart being expressed. This is God's love for the people. And he won't stand for it. He won't stand for it. God is not a thief. And God is not greedy. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we see in this example from the life of Jesus... That he won't take it. He won't take it. This is how his heart feels about it. Idolatry and oppression. His anger burns against those. And too often in the church we find idolatry and oppression colliding over the aspect of money. And we have to guard ourselves against that. We have to guard ourselves against that. The church has a money problem, but it's not God's problem. It's not at the heart of who he is. We see his heart clearly. We see his heart clearly. And that's not his heart being expressed. So as a church here, we have made some decisions 
as we look at that and we see the reality of that. We're making decisions that we're trying to see money through this lens of being Christ-centered, of being gospel-driven and scripture-rooted in the way we are engaging with money. And so one of the things that we're doing is, is we want to always be completely transparent with the money and how the money of this congregation is used, okay? So even as you leave today, you are welcome to take one of these. Uh, Justin Simmons has done a fantastic job. He, he is a watchdog with this stuff, y'all. I love it. It's fantastic. And his heart for Christ comes through so purely in this. And so Justin has developed something for all of us to take home today. You are welcome to see how the money in this congregation is used. This is a snapshot of it. If you want more detail, then we'll email that to you. We'll give it to you line by line, okay? So what you'll see here is the way that the money gets broken out, the way that money is used in this congregation. One of the things that's reflected on this page is a commitment that we made when we very first started this church. We felt like we wanted to be marked by generosity as a church. And if we were going to ask people who are a part of this church to generously give 10% in that spiritual practice of tithing, which is a biblical principle, if we were going to ask people to participate in this biblical principle of tithing, then shouldn't we participate in that as well? Obviously, individually as pastors, we, we absolutely do. But shouldn't we as a church and the way that the money of the church is used, shouldn't that be tithed as well? And so we committed to do that, to make sure that at least a tithe of what comes in also goes out to affect people that have no connection with us. It is not helping us at all. It is giving away out of generosity. It's not a part of what makes this church function and move. It's not a part of the operations. It's something that is given away completely outside of us. And in the current budget that Justin's put forth for you, 12% is marked for that. Now, the honest thing of that is that it's really difficult and it's a struggle. We don't have a lot of money as a church, okay? I know that's shocking to you. That probably surprises you, right? But it's intentional. It's not easy, but it's intentional. And there have been those times where we've really felt the strain because we didn't plan ahead enough and we didn't go ahead and set it aside and say, this is where it's going. So it's come down to that last little bit of the year and we say, whoa, we didn't meet our 10% thing yet. And we have those meetings that are really tough. (laughs) What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I'm proud to tell you the heart of the team that, that, that leads this church, they've always trusted God in that. They've trusted God. And when we've come to those points of having to make those calls, they make calls erring towards generosity. And I love that about these people. I love it. So that's what we're trying to be as a church because we want to put our money where our mission is. Okay? It's who we want to be. And we don't want there to be a question about the way God's money is being used in this congregation. So grab one of those today. And if you want more information, we would love to to talk more with you about that, okay? You're going to probably want Justin there for that conversation, though. I'll just be honest with you, all right? (laughs) Cool. Um, So here's the deal. As we talk about this today, the goal of this conversation is not to fill the baskets, all right? 
The goal of this conversation is not to come out of here and then next Sunday we suddenly see an uptick in the giving in this church. It's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. The goal of this message today and why we are choosing to talk about this topic is because this is an essential topic and because we want to shape generous hearts and we want to be a generous community. And we want God to form us through the power of his spirit into a generous community, the kind that is compelling and and is intriguing to the world around us. So that's one of our main marks as a church. We talk about several marks. We have five marks that we say make up the culture of this church. Now, you all know our mission, right? And what is the mission of this church? Somebody shout it out. There it is. Cool. That's it. All right. Keep going. Sweet. (laughs) If you know where you are today, then you know the mission of this church. Okay. Our name is our mission. Love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Now, when we talk about the culture of this church, it's marked by five things. Number one, intentional incarnation. Following after the model of Jesus, we want to plant ourselves in this community. Okay. Like Jesus came to us. Jesus became what he wanted to say. And we want to do the same thing. We want our lives to be the translation of the gospel into this community. Number two, reckless love. If that's our name, we better be marked by it. Reckless love, a love that gives itself away. Number three, radical hospitality. We want to be the one place in the world where everyone feels at home. The church should be that. The church should be that. So we want to be a place where the outsiders are the insiders and the forgotten are the first thought and the last get moved to the front of the line. Radical hospitality. We want to be about optimistic grace. And what we mean when we say that is that we believe that grace is strong. It doesn't mean we have a weak view of sin. We know sin is strong. We see it every single day. But we believe grace is stronger than sin. We don't think that grace just looks the other way on sin and says, ah, it's okay, it'll be all right. No, we think grace looks sin dead in the eye, calls it what it is, and then overcomes it through the power of Jesus Christ. We have an optimistic view of grace. And then our final mark is courageous generosity. Courageous generosity. We think this is the heart of God and we want to be marked by it ourselves and we don't want to wait until the big windfall of money comes and then we can be generous because if i'm not generous now with the little bit i have i won't be generous then when i have more it's not about the amount it's about the heart and so we want to be marked by that as a church that's who we are that's who we are courageous generosity now here's the thing when we talk about courageous generosity that means that sometimes We say yes when it is really hard to say yes. I can't think of any better way to present this to you than to talk about a couple that is a part of our church right here. That is a part of the fabric of our church. We're proud that Rush and Vimala are a part of our church. And they run Vimala's Curry Blossom Cafe, best Indian food in Chapel Hill. You need to go eat there, all right? Fantastic. They are great entrepreneurial business people, okay? And I love the way that they do this because their spirit is so driven by the heart of the kingdom. When you go in there, you're going to see a sign and you're going to see this in different places around there. The motto, Vimala cooks, 
everybody eats. Vimola cooks, everybody eats. I love it. You're going to see phrases written on the chalkboard that say things like beloved community. Welcome, and you're welcome to be a part of our beloved community here. You're going to see things called the Food for All Fund, where people have the opportunity to pay a little bit more for their meal than they normally would in order to make it possible for people who can't pay to eat there for free. That's their heart. That's the way it is. And if you can't afford to pay for what's on the menu, you pay what you can. And if you can't pay anything at all, then you eat for free. And that's their heart. Bimala cooks, everybody eats. It's fantastic. It's a compelling way of doing business. And these people that are part of our church community have captured the imagination of our entire town. And so many people are talking about this model and the way that they do this. And what people are beginning to see is that this is the kingdom of God alive and in action right in front of their eyes. It's Acts 2 all over again. It's Acts 2 all over again. This radical act of generosity, of overflowing with so much love for Christ that it has to express itself in radical and extravagant love for other people. This is beautiful, and it's right here in our midst. That is courageous generosity. That is concerned with more than just the normal bottom line. It sets a completely different bottom line and upsets the whole process. It's amazing beautiful it's beautiful they meet in a place called the courtyard i'll just add this little part wasn't planning on saying this but almost every business that has gone into the courtyard in the past several years they can't make it they don't make it they're hidden back in the corner people aren't able to stay open and businesses close and businesses leave and another one comes in and they leave these guys have expanded their business in that process it's beautiful it's beautiful And it's right here in our midst. That's courageous generosity. That's what we want to be about as a church. Another part of it, absolutely, is saying yes. When God is pushing us to say yes, even when we don't know how it's going to work out. There's another part of courageous generosity that we have to understand. And that is this, that sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes we have to have the courage To say no. And as a church, we have this policy that if a person asks us for money, we don't give out cash. Okay? It's my personal policy. Whenever I walk down Franklin Street, it is my personal policy. And that's what I say. I don't give out cash. As a church, we don't give out cash. I encourage you to adopt that as your personal policy as well. If you want to blame it on me, go for it. I can take it, all right? Go for it. That's right. (laughs) That's our policy because here's the thing. It's not because we're close-hearted. It's because we want to help in a way that doesn't hurt, okay? We want to help in a way that doesn't hurt. Sometimes it takes courage to say no in order to say yes to what is really needed, okay? And sometimes it makes us feel better to give that little bit of change that's been hanging around in our pocket for the last couple of days. makes us feel like we just did something and we walk away smiling. The deal is you didn't do anything. That didn't even cost you anything. That didn't cost you anything. 
And instead, we've helped perpetuate a cycle that people have been trapped in. So what we want to do instead is we want to practice courageous generosity in those moments. Let's get to the root of what is needed. And let's do the difficult thing of helping that real need. So every Sunday now, from now on, one of the things you'll see is out front of one of the tables, we'll have a list of resources of all of the different places in the community that can help, whether it's with a meal or whether it's with housing or whatever it is. Bus passes, we provide bus passes here as a part of this church, Grace on Wheels. Contact us about that, okay? So we don't give out cash. We try to get to the root of the real problem, and we try to help in a way that is actually helpful, okay? Don't just make yourself feel slightly better and say, I did something. Sometimes you have to have the courage to say no. Now, another deal is this. If someone is asking you for a meal, we want to we help provide in that, okay? Uh, IFC has a fantastic uh, meal program and kitchen, three meals a day that are offered there. But if for some reason that's not a reality for someone, how about you do the really courageous thing? And you invite a friend to sit down with you for a meal. And you share a meal with a new friend. And you hear the story. And you hear the background. And that person becomes more than a face that you pass on the street that you try to avoid eye contact with. And that person becomes a friend. A good chance is that part person might just be a part of your church family. How about you get to know your family and take a brave step and a courageous step and show love and show love because that's who we are. Sometimes courageous generosity is knowing when to say yes and knowing when to say no. Jesus hammers away at the topic of money all the way through the Gospels. We talk about it here because Jesus talks about it so much. He understands that it's such a central part of Life And Jesus understands the power of money. He understands the power of money. Now, here's the thing. Jesus does not want your money. He's not just out to get your money, all right? Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus wants you. And he understands how intimately those two things are tied together. And it's why he talks about it so much through the Gospels. Matthew Chapter 6, we have a beautiful example of Jesus talking about this. Now, this week was was a massive week in in history. It's crazy, all of the things that have converged together in one week. So this week, we celebrated the 150th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. This week, we also marked the 50th anniversary of the death of two men, who went by the nickname of Jack. One, John F. Kennedy, and the other, who died on the same day as John F. Kennedy, the exact same day, same year, but hardly anybody noticed because of the chaos of Dallas. And his name was C.S. Lewis. This week is a powerful week when we look back in history. And it talks to us about the power of, of words, the power of words to last through time, to open up the imagination, to help us see in a brand new way and see worlds that don't even exist yet in a brand new way. 
In Matthew chapter 6, we have that amplified to an endless degree. As Jesus delivers the sermon on the mount, Jesus sits down on the hillside, he opens his mouth, and he turns the world on its head. And as part of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about money and he talks about what it means to have this this right view and this godly view of money. He says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus understands how intimately these two things are tied together. It was one of my, my heroes, a Methodist missionary named E. Stanley Jones. He was a missionary to India. Through his missionary work there, he became intimate friends and tender friends with Gandhi. He ends up writing a biography of Gandhi, and in that outlining Gandhi's nonviolent approach in the way uh, that he fought back against British colonialism there in India. Years later, a young civil rights leader named Martin Luther King picked up that biography, read it, and it became the blueprint for the civil rights movement in America. Powerful, powerful. E. Stanley Jones captures exactly what Jesus says here. When he says this, E. Stanley Jones says this, what has your attention has you. What has your attention has you. What has your heart? What is at the center of your heart? What is it that you think about the most? What is it that you plan around the most? How are you mapping out your life? Some of you are making decisions right now about the next stages of your life. And the main aspect of the decision-making has to do with money. I would encourage you to take a step back. Just take some time to fast and to pray and to focus and say, God, where are you leading me? Where are you opening up the doors? And don't just let money be the deciding factor on what you do. Don't let money be the final and deciding factor on what you do. Jesus understands completely that money is a weak and tyrannical God and it is not strong enough to hold you. It is not strong enough to sustain you. When when you begin to slip into an idolatry of money, when it begins to drive every decision that you make, in your life, when it becomes the thing that you have the most fears about in your life or the most hopes about in your life, you are moving into a very dangerous spot in your life. Jesus says, give your heart to me because I can hold it. I can hold it. I can sustain it. Here's what we need to understand. Money isn't the answer. Money isn't the answer. You might be at a point right now in your life where you think that's all you need, just a little bit more and everything will be okay. Money isn't the answer. Money is the question. Money is the question. Money doesn't make you who you are and doesn't fix who you are, but money asks you, who are you? Who are you? What has the highest place of priority in 
your life? And are you managing what you have now? If not, you can't manage any more than that. Are you generous with what you have now? If not, you won't be generous with anything more than that. You won't be generous with anything more than that. Jesus challenges us that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is tied up in. It has such a grip on us, our treasure. has such a grip on us. One of the leading causes of divorce continuously and consistently in our country is money. And it's not just involving the couples who don't have enough of it. Money. It has such a grip on us, and that's why it's so important to let go and to surrender that to God and to put God at the center of our hearts. Let your contentment be in him. Let your contentment be in him because here's the thing. However much you think is going to be enough will not be enough. Enough is this restless and moving target. I promise you that. I've been there. I've had visions in my life. Oh, man, if I can do this and if I can get this and and then I get there. And it feels awesome. And it feels great. You look around, you're like, I have everything I ever wanted. And then you realize those things that you wanted are not enough. Whatever is enough has moved just slightly forward and has invited me to chase it. Enough is a restless and moving target. You have to understand and redefine what enough is in your life. And you have to place your contentment in Jesus Christ. You have to understand money can be a very powerful tool. Absolutely. Money can do so much good. But a twisted love of money is destructive. In fact, scripture refers to a twisted love of money as the root of evil. Be careful. Be careful. It is a weak God and it cannot sustain you and it will fail you. It makes promises. It promises security, but those promises are bankrupt. Your security is found in Jesus Christ alone. Your contentment is in Jesus Christ alone. That's what scripture has to say to us about money. That's how it challenges us to interact with money. And as we wrap up, I just have a couple of things that I want to challenge you to do in examining your own heart and the way that you're interacting with money right now. Not your dream down the road of how you're going to handle it, how you are handling it right now, because this is what is real. This is what is real. Number one, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Now, I don't mean that in a graduation speech kind of way, okay? What I mean is track your treasure. Follow the line of your treasure. Track your finances. Where are you spending your money? What is receiving the most amount of money? Take a look. Take a real look at your finances. Track them. There are all kind of apps that will do that for you, okay? And you can just let it run, and then after months, you can take a look, and reality just might smack you in the face as far as what is really important in your life. Follow your heart. Find out where your money is going because your heart is running right after it. Follow your heart. Number two, I challenge you to do this. Trust God in tithing. 
Trust God in tithing. Now, this is not a tithing message. Again, I'm not designing this to try to get more money in the baskets, okay? That's not the goal. That's not the goal. I understand that the nature of this church, we're a transient church, okay? And we have a lot of people that are, that are moving through. Very few people make Chapel Hill kind of their permanent home, right? So I understand that a lot of you won't be here for an extended period of time. What I'm telling you right now is setting you up for the rest of your life. It's not trying to get money out of you here. It's setting you up for the rest of your life. Apply this to the rest of your life. Trust God in tithing. Give him the first 10%. Not, I'm not talking about like after the government gets their cut and then your bills get their cut and then, you know, well, if after cable, if I still have the opportunity, then I'll... Got to have my HGTV. God understands that, right? Okay. <laughs> Give God your best. Give God your first. Give God your first 10% and let everything else shake out after that. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you it will. Now, this is not, don't get it confused. This is not saying... Give to God and you're going to be blessed like crazy. You're going to see a great return on that investment, all right? There are places that preach that. I'm telling you that's not what I'm saying. And I'm telling you that you cannot draw a direct line between what you give and then the financial blessings of God on your life. And someone that tries to draw that correct line, that just unbroken line, is lying to you. It's not what Scripture tells us. It's not what Scripture tells us. But I am telling you, give your heart to God. Trust him with the first 10%, with the top, with the best, with the first. And all the other things that you need will be added to you, he says. Let me be your contentment. Trust him in it. Trust him in it. Test him in it, it says in scripture. He says, test me in this. I challenge you to do that. The last one is this, be grateful, be grateful. It's Thanksgiving time. All of our focus is starting to turn this. If we can keep it from running ahead to Christmas, right? If we can think about being grateful instead of, am I going to get in line early enough to get that really good deal? Okay. I better not see any of y'all trampling each other on TV. Okay. Don't do it. All right. Be grateful. Use this time and this week right here to pause and to reflect on God's provision in your life and be thankful for it. Be thankful for what he's done. Be thankful for the ways that he has provided in your life. God has given you so much. There's so much in your life to be thankful for. And when we begin to live out of a generous, out of a, out of a heart of gratefulness, it becomes a heart of generosity. Generosity is born out of gratefulness. It's born out of understanding that I am a steward, which means I don't own it. It means I care for it. It's God's and I care for it. It means we begin to understand that our possessions are not trophies to our buying power and our earning power. But our possessions are his. Everything we have is his. It comes from his hand. He's been generous to us. And we need to respond with a life of generosity. Jesus talks about money all the way through scripture because he understands how intimately it is tied into our hearts. And he says, wherever your treasure is, that is where you will find your heart. 
make sure you're putting your heart in the right place. Make sure you are loving God and trusting God first. Not that you're placing a misplaced love or misdirected trust in money. It won't hold it. It won't hold it. But God is enough. God is enough. God, thank you. Thank you for the way that you've helped us all the way through this series, for the way that you've challenged us in some ways that have been very practical to our everyday lives. And thank you that your word has the power to do that. Your word has the power to speak right into what I do every single day. And I pray you would help us to continue to dig into it in that kind of way and to to see it in that kind of way. Take these things that we've learned and apply it to the rest of our lives from here on out. Remind us of what we need to be reminded of. Bring it back to our hearts when we need it the most. Push us and challenge us. And God, we're thankful. We're so thankful for the way you've provided for us as a church. For the way that you've provided for us individually. God, I pray you would continue to do that. Continue to do that. We know you will because you're faithful. We love you so much. You are our treasure. You are our treasure and we place our contentment in you. It's your name we pray. Amen.